Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Listening to the following on podcast from Talksport. I'm John Norman, and today bringing you a one-off show. And I'd be fascinated to know whether you'd like to hear more like this one. For those of you familiar with Talksport's game day on Saturdays, you'll know how the team go about covering the biggest questions and topics in football. Well, we've kind of done the same thing with cricket. Talksport reporter Ollie Clink was tasked with finding out the answer to one of cricket's all-time unanswerables. What is it like to face a cricket ball at 90 miles an hour? To help answer that, well, we've enlisted the help of a man who had to do it for the majority of his career as an opening batter, the former England captain Mike Atherton. We spoke to someone who knows what it was like to bowl such deliveries, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, and a tail ender who ended up on the wrong side of one, Alex Tudor. In and amongst all that, we also delve into the science How is it even possible for a batter's brain, eyes, body and reflexes to deal with such a quick delivery? All is answered in the next 10 minutes or so. And then off the back of it, Jared Kimber and Steve Harmison continue the discussion as part of a lunchtime break on day two of the second test between New Zealand and England. So sit back and enjoy as he asks the question, what is it like to face a cricket ball at 90 miles an hour? You're at the crease, your throat's dry, eyes wide with fear, knees are a bit weak. With what seems like a mile-long run-up, the bowler steams in towards you. The ball whizzes past you. You didn't even get a chance to see it, let alone hit it. There's nothing quite like facing a high-speed delivery. But what's it like to take on a ball that's travelling over 90 miles per hour? Well, let's find out. It's fast, obviously, the quickest bowlers, and it's a blink of an eye, really. I think it's about 0.4 of a second from release to getting to you, so you don't have much time to think. Former England opener Michael Atherton faced up to many a quick delivery, but did he ever get scared? Not physically scared. The worry is that you're going to be made to look a bit of a fool, you know, that you might be a bit late on the ball, you get bowled out or, or get hit. It's not that you're scared of getting hurt, just perhaps 
slightly concerned about either getting out or looking a bit slow in your reflexes. Oh, that's lightning quick. Lightning quick. What is taking place here between Donald and Atherton is one of the most enthralling passages of cricket you'd ever wish to see. The fastest bowlers, and you're talking, well, in, in my era, the likes of Shoaib Akhtar, Brett Lee, Alan Donald, you don't really see the ball all the way. You kind of obviously see it on release. You have an instinct for where the ball is going to be. You pick up certain little movements from the bowler to give you a bit of a head start. And you can look at the field, and, you know, if the field is set back for bouncers, you don't predetermine, but you might have an, a hint of what's coming as well. So a combination of factors just helps you through. You get in the indoor school in pre-season, you crank up the bowling machine to 90 miles an hour, and you just get used to playing fast bowling or playing bowling at absolutely top speed. And you pick up little cues from the bowler or your instinct tells you where the ball is going to be. So you don't actually follow the ball from hand right onto the bat when the quickest bowler's bowing, but you have an instinct of where the ball is, and that's the difficult thing to explain because it's just what you're trained to do. But what's the science behind those unexplainably quick reactions? Amit Katwala is the author of The Athletic Brain, which looks into the psychology behind the performance of professional athletes. Facing a high-speed delivery is a really difficult problem for the brain because, say you're facing a 90-mile delivery, you've basically got half a second between the ball leaving the bowler's hand and reaching you at the other end of the, the wicket. But it actually takes your body longer than that. It takes your body around 200 milliseconds to actually figure out where the ball's going and then around 700 milliseconds to then react to it and play it stroke. So that's obviously longer than the amount of time you've got before the ball reaches you. So the way that the brain solves this problem is basically by predicting in advance where the ball is going to go. So the batsman's body and brain knows in advance where the ball is going to go before it's actually even left the bowler's hand. The brain learns from watching thousands of deliveries over thousands of hours of practice what kind of subtle cues there are as to where the ball is going to go once it leaves the bowler's hand. That could be wrist position, it could be angle of the arm, it could be experiencing that particular bowler. They kind of have an idea that when the bowler's body is in this shape, that means the ball is going to be an off cutter or an in-swinger or whatever it might be. If you stop to think about it consciously, you'd be far too slow. It's a bit like learning to drive. So when you learn to drive, when you're learning to drive initially, you're kind of thinking about everything you're doing. You're thinking about your clutch control, your pedals and what gear you're in and how to actually make the movement to go from first into second or second into third. And then eventually it becomes automatic and then driving becomes much easier. Easier. As Joffre Archer comes in to ball and balls in! When you're facing Joffre Archer, you're not thinking, okay, Joffre Archer's wrist is in this position, so perhaps the ball is going to go in this direction. The brain is just doing all that automatically. Frankly, a lot of the time it's a miracle that they can even hit the ball at all, considering how fast it's going. So maybe we should be cutting players a little bit of slack. What's the technique then? Is it as simple as just keeping your eye on the ball? Here's TalkSport commentator and cricket writer... Jared Kimber. We know that batters can't physically react to the ball. It's too quick. We can get that from many different tests. One of the most famous ones is turning the lights off. If you turn the lights off with an amateur and you turn the lights off with a professional, after three metres, a professional will still get in the right position to play the right shot. They'll miss it because the lights are off, but they'll be in the right position. You do that with an amateur and they'll just, they won't have moved. They won't have seen enough of the ball to be able to go there. If you face a bowling machine over 80 miles an hour, basically a professional batter has no advantage over an amateur. And the reason is, professional 
professional batter, when he's facing nine miles an hour, is actually looking at the field, the pitch, the wrist position of the bowler, how it comes out, where it's going to come from roughly. The other thing that batters do is they do something called a saccade with their eyes. So they look at the first two to three metres of the path, and then they go, OK, I think it's going to go roughly here, and then they move their eyes away from the ball, which is exactly the opposite of what we are told to do as cricketers, but that's what they actually do. They move their eyes away from the ball from where they think it's going to go. Give themselves a little bit of a head start over everyone else, and that's another thing that amateurs can't do. There was a story about Don Bradman, and I think how he would practice basically by bouncing a ball off a wall and then trying to hit it with a stamp. And he was inadvertently kind of just training his ability to react late to the ball as it was bouncing off this surface in kind of funny angles and unpredictable ways. So yeah, there's definitely a degree to which hand-eye coordination is important and reaction time is important, although arguably that is also the brain at work. Facing a quick delivery is tough enough if you're a batsman, but what if you're a tail ender? Especially if you've already been launching some deliveries down the track at their bowlers in the previous innings. Won't they be out for revenge? Former England bowler Alex Tudor faced up to Australian pacer Brett Lee in the 2002 Ashes. That spell of Australia at the Wackaway hit me. Oh, that's going a nasty one. That's nasty. Through the helmet, and he's in a bad way. He ducked right into that, Alex Tudor. He did tell me he was coming for me because I had peppered him in the first innings because NASA told me to, but I was bowling like at 83, 4 miles an hour. He was bowling at 95. I think it's the first time I saw Marcus Treskovic glove one and run off the pitch. And Trez was a very fine player, one of the best in our era, and a good player against fast bowling, but I don't think he fancied it that day. It was intimidating because you could hear the FUD, especially when we played at the Wacker. It was rock hard, and when he bowled it, it was a massive FUD. Brett's bouncer ended up entering Tudor's helmet seriously injuring his left eye. And the reason I got hit is he took the new ball. I was quite lucky. I, I was borrowing James Foster's helmet for some reason because I was a call-up because I was on the academy. I didn't have my England helmet, so I had to borrow one, and I borrowed James Foster's one. And luckily, his grill to the sort of the lip of the lid was a lot shorter than my one because my one used to be quite white. I didn't like the visor in my eye line, so thank God that I had that because if I didn't, I don't think I would have had my left eye here today, to be fair. Alex Stewart literally... After the swelling went down, he was like, Chude, you need to jump back on the horse. And he was frying balls at my head a week after I'd got hit. I was okay after that. It, it could have affected me. Alex Stewart didn't allow it to, and I was sort of yeah back out there facing the fast bowlers sort of soon after, really, so it went too bad. Of course, high-speed bowling isn't just limited to test cricket. It's a key part of the white ball game too, which is more difficult to face. I would say the red ball for me just seemed a little bit more intimidating than the white one because it never used, by the time I went into bat, it never really used to swing. It used to get reverse swing, but the ball was a lot softer and older. You didn't have the two balls at different ends and the ball changing all the time. Still quick, but nowhere near the red ball where you sort of keep the shine, you know, the intimidating factor when you look behind you and you've got, you know, maybe three, four slips, gully, and you knew that the ball was going to sort of be coming round between your waist and your shoulder and bowlers trying to hit you on the head. Oh, Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. Former England man Steve Harmison was a seriously quick bowler, but what was it like? to come up against a harmy delivery. They would say it was challenging because obviously the pace and a lot of height and pace and bounce. It was quite stressful in a way of we've got no idea where it's going and it looked at times where you didn't have any idea where it was going. So if you had no idea where it was going, the fun of the fair, the bloke with a bat in his hand with very little chance either, especially left-handers. A lot of left-handers would say you it was like a nightmare to face mm. you when the ball bounced because you just got that ball into that rib cage. If you didn't quite get a little glove on it or you didn't get the bat on it in time, we always knew that the sort of top of the backside and the ribcage area was always an offer for for a glancing blow every now and again. So you have to be instinctive, you have to be brave, 
and you've got to practice. But what's the future of facing high-speed bowling? Is modern technology helping batters become even sharper? Here's Amit Katwala again. And what we've seen is a lot of tools being developed in football and baseball and cricket and other sports that are designed to train the brain more efficiently. So what we have now is things like VR, VR headsets that you can wear and then they replicate the bowler's action so that you can learn to kind of pair a bowler's action with a particular delivery. You can get much more experience in an hour of playing on the VR than you can in an hour of playing cricket in nets or whatever just because there's not that reset time between deliveries and you don't have to worry about wear and tear on the bowler's arms and things like that so it's a way of making that training data more efficient and kind of speeding up this you know 10,000 hours thing that people talk about there we are then get in the nets with a vr headset on and that might help you out either way facing bouncers at 90 plus rather you than me one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That was Ollie Klink there talking about fast bowlers. So that whole thing was talking about how top-level batters um, go about this. And we know that there is a big difference. And... We know from the history of Test Cricket that there are athletes who are very good at facing bowling over 80 miles an hour, and then there are athletes who are not. Uh, I don't think I need to tell you which, which area I'd probably put you in there. But if you remember a couple of years ago when Adrian Shanker was, um, uh, you know, there was a controversy about him and he played for Lancashire or signed with Lancashire and ended up playing for Worcestershire. They spent a lot of time watching him on the bowling machine. And everyone said that he looked incredibly like a professional in the bowling machine. And the minute they saw him in the nets, they were all, uh, their alarm bells went up and everyone went, wait a minute, he doesn't look right. That's the difference between an amateur and a professional is that uh, a lot of amateurs look very good at, on a bowling machine, 75, 80 miles an hour, and it's that different. Because you actually are that kind of batter. Uh, Athers talked about not being afraid of being injured and everything else, but you w- you wouldn't have been able to pick up the ball. That, the sort of stuff that they were talking about, the science there, you didn't have those skills available to you, which is why you end up being you know one of the highest scoring number 11s of all time. You're facing someone who's just too quick for you. What are you doing? What are you feeling? And is there a fear for you? There is a fear. There's always a fear, but there's always an excitement to it. I always I looked at it. Not looking a question but I looked at somebody like Kevin Peterson some of the best players that I played with that were very very good what you felt they were very good at playing the, the quick stuff actually as a bowler I felt as though they were scared I thought sometimes bowling at Peterson it's triscothic you're scared but actually it's not they're getting excited the, the sort of beans are going because they know that it's coming 
Yeah, far too fast from a, a reaction point of view. But they felt as though they flipped that over and felt, we can score off this. If he bowls one offline here, bang, I'll score off it. I always got that to that, to that with Ricky Ponton, the best player I ever played against. Bowling short to Ricky, bang. I knew he was trying to hit me for six when he bowled the short ball. For us bowlers, it's different. And to go to the question, you know, I always had a plan in mind because if there was a batter at the other end, I remember I remember facing Umar Gull at uh, Old Trafford. Ian Bell's about 80 when I went out. So I've got a bat for Ian Bell. And now you have to be brave. You can't just have a swing and try and get 20 quickly. You've got to try and bat for the, the bloke at the other end. And Umar Gull hit me in the head three times. I would have got out in modern day now. I'd have to come off. You know, he smashed three three different helmets, and I'm trying to be as brave as I possibly can because I could not pick him up. And I remember saying to Belly off with you know through one of the overs when he asked me if I needed anything, and it was like, yes, I need you to get to quickly a hundred quickly because I am not picking this bloke up. I have got no idea when it bounces where it's going to go, and it just kept hitting me on my body or on my head. But the way I used to look at it was, I would pick. If I could score off it, if there was no, no batter at the other end, I'd look at if he's bowling full or if he's bowling short because they're the two places he's looking to target a, a tail ender. He could try and bowl the Yorker, bowl it at the sort of base of the stumps or he's going to try and intimidate you by bowling bouncers. And I felt as though I could try and score off one of them. If I, were, if, if I couldn't play the short ball to the bouncer because it was far too fast or it bounced too much, I would look to try and hit the full ball back at him straight down the ground and try and keep my mentality very very simple the other way if I felt as though I could score off the short ball because there's less feelers out on the leg side or flying over third man if I felt confident to do that I'd try and sort of play French cricket for the full ball and just try and just drop me bat on it and then have my hands as high as I possibly could and if this pitched anywhere near halfway down I'd just try and swing as hard as I could and if it flew off it flew off so that's what a lot of tail enders will try and do against somebody who is bowling in excess of probably 88 mile an hour. You sort of come in as sports science and everything is taking off. Obviously, Bob Woolman's already written his book by that point, and uh, there's a lot of theories. English cricket has more theories than I think any other uh, form of cricket in the world, just because I think there's so much cricket played in county cricket that people are just talking all the time. Maybe it's not even the cricket, it's the rain breaks where everyone is, is always talking about these things. Negativity as well, Jared. Yeah, but did cricket you... has a lot of negativity. Yeah. Did you know that it's impossible to watch a ball? Because when it, when I was growing up, that's what everyone was told: watch the ball onto the bat, right? But when you get to that level, are you aware? And does anyone ever just pull you aside and go, "You can't watch the ball onto your bat"? Once it gets over eighty miles an hour, it's impossible to do that. Um, did anyone ever try and train you or coach you in, in what that means, or is that just something that you just, as you said, you had to work out your own kind of you know busted method yourself? Yeah, you have to work out your own sort of busted method yourself. I remember going to the academy, and what was that, 99 or 2000, with the great late Rod Marsh. Ian Chappell was, was helping his good mate, Rod Marsh. And the first thing we did about playing bounces and facing bounces were brand new Cougar balls thrown at your head with no helmet on. It was like, yeah, good fun this, Rod. I'm really looking forward to that at number, as a number 10 or a number 11. Um, but you, you learned how to get out of the way of it science has moved on a lot more since then and I think coaching techniques have as well but no, you, we were you, you batted number 11 for a reason you didn't bat as much in the net because you actually protected some of the some of the young bowlers that would come and bowl as net bowlers, they'd want to go right, I'm going to show Steve Armisen how fast I am 
and even him at 82 mile an hour was sometimes a little bit quicker than you'd really want on a indifferent net surface. So bat, so the, the bowlers weren't actually batting for too long in the net situation because you didn't want to get anybody injured. So it was a little bit fight, fight for you, fend for yourself. But it was probably wasn't until Fletcher came into Duncan Fletcher came into English cricket where you know, all three facets of the game you had to be good at because if you weren't, Duncan didn't pick you. So you had to work on your batting. You had to be a, a competent fielder if you were a bowler. And there was quite a few, I would say quite a few bowlers, missed out on selection because of, because of that very thing. And when you, you go back through the history before Duncan Fletcher, you know, how many times did you see England play with four number 11s? You know, Alan Mullally, Phil Tufnell, Devon Malcolm at 9, 10, 11. They were, that was England's bowling attack. That would never happen under too much under Duncan Fletcher as his coaching career progressed with England. You had to practice the batting, and short ball was something that you did practice, but you were a little bit apprehensive because you're thinking, well, if you practice it too much, you might get, you might not get one in the right place. You might get hurt, and then you're out of the, the Test match. So I think it was a fine balance in that, Jared. You, uh, you know, obviously had a long career, and you sort of played in that era where Actor, Lee, Bond, uh, Sean Tate all played. Who, who was the quickest and who scared you the most? So they're almost two different questions because there are certain some bowlers that you know can bowl fast and short and it, you feel like you can get away from it and others don't. Sometimes, I remember doing a piece with Sean Tate and I talked to 10 different batters who faced him in, in one game and five of them said to me, he was so easy to pick up out of the hand and the other five said, we had absolutely no idea where the ball was coming from and we couldn't pick him up. So everyone picks up bowlers differently. So who was just the flat out fastest but who was the one that for whatever reason the angle of the bounce, the, the, you know, the, the, the way that they delivered the ball it gave you the most fear? I think probably Brett. Brett Lee was probably the one that, possibly because we played, I played a lot of cricket against Brett Lee, and you give as good as you got. And trust me, I, especially on that, that dear edge basting on the morning in 2005, it was like a voodoo doll for me and Andrew Flintoff. We hit him everywhere on his body. So... When you bowl like that at a bowler who can bowl in excess of 90 mile an hour, he's not going to bowl our volleys that year, is he? So he's going to come back hard. And he did that many, many times. Show a bowl quickly in, in Pakistan. Um, wasn't as sort of, I wouldn't say consistently as quick over the whole day as what probably Brett Lee was. Um, you've seen the ball all the way with, with Brett Lee, which helps as a tail end batsman. Um, I didn't really play too much against, against Sean Tate. There was one. There was one game very early in my career, and we played. We played. We played Lancashire, and Wazim Akram, David Boone helped me to bounce Wazim Akram, which wasn't the best idea for my batting prowess. And then when I when I went out to bat, there was I thought I was having a net because there was nobody in front of me other than Wazim Akram and the umpire. And then the first ball went whizzing past my nose, and he he said an expletive, which I obviously I can't um, I can't relay, but. The words were along the lines of Hamerson, I'm going to kill you. And uh, I was like, I was looking for me little Australian captain to help me out here because he was the one that put me in this position because I did get told to, uh, to bowl bouncers at the great Wazi Makram. And that was frightening as a probably 19-year-old, 20-year-old at the time. So, But I think the question of who was consistently the fastest and the scariest, I thought that was Brett Lee. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting. The, the whole Brett Lee thing is, is so fascinating because he doesn't get mentioned as much now. And I think one of the reasons is it goes back to you talking about him showing you the ball. So we saw Scott Kugelein bowling for New Zealand where Scott Kugelein has the most deliberate bowling action where he's literally holding the ball in front of his face the whole time. We know Chris Wokes did a similar thing as well. Those guys are not as scary as, say, someone like Sean Tate or, or Lassif Malinga who ha- or Mitchell Johnson. When I talked to all the England tailenders who faced Mitchell Johnson, they said, look, he wasn't faster than Shoah Bakhtar. We'd face faster bowlers. But his arm came from this weird angle, and he was a left armer. And every time we tried to duck him because he was a left armer, we just got in the way and got hit. So there's all those little things. It's not just about the pace, is it? It really is how you can pick them up, how it skids off. Dale Steyn hit so many players because when he bowled short and Malcolm Marshall did the same thing, the ball would skid on. You couldn't get under a Dale Steyn bouncer. Same as Darren Goff. Darren Goff was the same. You, you, his skiddy trajectory, when he bowled a bouncer, he tends to hit you. And uh, look, Brett Lee could have run up with a bouncer written on his forehead as he's running in, bowled it, and still hit me. He was, there was times he was, he was frighteningly quick. Alan Donald, the same. You see the ball all the way through and there's, there's you know, one thing having a, the eyes of being able to see it the other thing is is also being able to play it and you know, I, I, that's why when you, you watch some of the, the best bowlers the best batsmen of all time and I always get the question whenever you do a Q&A or you talk to kids who's the best player you played against and I was fortunate I was blessed to play in an era with some unbelievable players I, I couldn't even start naming them because we haven't got that long but the one that stands out to me was Ricky Ponting and the reason why was the, the, the Laras, the Tendulkas, Dravids, uh, the, you know, the Callises. You could bowl a bouncer at them and feel as though that's my go-to ball and I'm not going to get any damage. If, if somebody's getting in and getting going, I can slip a couple of bouncers in and I can get through and over and I'm good. You bowl bouncers at Ricky Ponton and he was trying to hit me for six. Because of the, his height, my bounce, he just kept hitting it up. And that was, well, where do I go to now? Because that little bit further, further forward, he'd, if he was in Nick, he'd straight back drive, straight back past you. And then all of a sudden it's like, where do I go now? And that's why for me, he wasn't the best player in my generation because everybody has their opinions. But as a player who played quite a bit of his international career against Ricky, I thought he was the best player I ever played against. And his, the way he picked up length, especially against a short ball, I think it was frightening how good that guy was. Big thanks to Ollie Klink, Mike Atherton, Steve Harmison, Jared Kimber, Amit Katwala and Alex Tudor. And if you like today's show, please let us know. If you have any questions you'd like us to tackle in similar fashion, drop me a line at Fulham John or at cricket underscore TS on Twitter. Uh, or subscribe and leave a question in the uh, podcast comments section. But thanks for listening.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.